people think sports entities are made up of billions of dollars. And when in reality, some of these sports clubs, some of these NFL teams are mom and pop shops just trying to survive on a shoestring budget. So when you're looking at some of the deals and some of the things that they do, it's because they want to keep the team afloat. It's because they care about their employees. It's because of all these different things where, you know, you see a sports entity and you already imagine like, oh, they must be making millions or like, oh, this person must be doing this. But in reality, it's a fraction of the industry that's making millions and is turning a profit every single year. Welcome to Hot Coffee Cold Beer. I'm your host, Brock Hendricks, with the LA Lakers, Clippers, and Kings. On this podcast, we'll sit down and share a hot coffee or a cold beer with those who have made a name for themselves working inside the highly competitive sports industry. All of the content heard today is solely reflective of the independent reporting by Hot Coffee Cold Beer and our team and does not reflect the opinion or feelings of AEG, Staples Center, the LA Lakers, Clippers, Kings, or Sparks. Today's guest is a rising star of the sports industry, Divya Goyal. Divya is the Senior Director of Global Advertising for the international soccer company, Relevant Sports Group. Divya's career has moved from the ground stages of NFL social media usage to being the head of marketing for the Premier Lacrosse League and now with Relevant Sports Group. You'll hear about how intelligent advertising changes the sports industry forever and what it's like to be a 21-year-old student presenting a social media strategy initiative at the NFL Digital Media Summit to all 32 teams. Hey, Divya, thank you so much for joining us on the, the show. It's it's an honor to share a, a hot coffee or a cold beer with you. Do you have either one ready to go? I actually have hot tea. So I took your spin and I flipped it on its head a little bit. I drink about five cups of tea a day. So that's where I'm at right now. Why the decision of tea over coffee? Are you just super fancy? I got actually addicted to coffee when I was in high school and my mom decided it was time to shut that down because I would get really jittery and crash really hard. So it's been tea ever since. <laughs> I didn't realize when making this show title that we were actually like leaving out a group of people. Wait, what about the tea drinkers? And Exactly. That's exactly what I am. Um, my my stock of my cabinet is just filled with like 80 or 90 types of tea and I'm not even exaggerating. So this may be a conversation for another day, but as far as five cups of tea versus five cups of coffee goes, is it that much better for you? Yeah. So, well, not all the tea is caffeine. I think that's the the catch there. So like I have a cup of tea that like helps me go to sleep. I have one that like helps me detox. It's a lot of just like hydrating depending on what type of tea you are drinking, whereas like coffee actually dehydrates the crap out of you if you're not careful. Now I see why all the British people do it. That makes a lot of sense. We really wanted to talk to you because in your short time on planet Earth, you've accomplished some pretty incredible things and you've held high titles in some high places. But Divya, I actually owe you an apology before we get started here, because before we get into the deep stuff. So in episode 14, we talked to the founder of Kinship, Taylor Legacy, and Mm -hmm. we get into a discussion about our famous high school alumni. It turns out he went to a rival high school. And as soon as we went to post the show, I started kicking myself because I realized that When we're talking about these famous alumni, I didn't even bring you up and I couldn't believe it. And I'm still kicking myself about it. So know that I am truly, honestly sorry and that you are on my Mount Rushmore of Crescenta Valley High School alumni. So we hope you can forgive me. Oh, don't don't worry about it at all. I know we've all gone our separate ways and it's been a long time anyways. So even having some sort of like recognition post that is definitely a good sign. And thank you so much for it. We actually have a couple of alumni in sports, actually. So there's Eric Yu, who works for the LA Clippers. And there's a girl yep. named Sydney Rubio, who now works for the Miami Dolphins. So there are a few CV alumni that are around the sports world. But 
we appreciate that you're one of them and appreciate that you're, you're joining us here. Thank you. I'm happy to do it. So there's a common theme in a lot of our guests, and that theme is that writing skills and strong writing skills translate into other things that help you go far in this industry. And those things kind of continue to come back around and help them excel in their next roles. And in your case, a writing job actually started this path in sports for you. So when you're at the University of Southern California, you're writing for the Daily Trojan, and you write a story about the college ski team, which kind of sounds off to begin with. And this kind of spiraled and convinced you to go into sports. Do we have this story right? A little bit, yeah. So it actually started a little before that. So it was like the 2000 Summer Olympics. And I it was on a different time zone. So the Olympics are live at like, I don't know, midnight to 2 a.m. every day. And my dad, when the 2000 Olympics were going on, basically gave me an ultimatum. He was like, I know you want to write. You want to go into journalism. If you want to do that, write me a story every night about what happened the night before. And I will let you stay up to watch the Olympics. So I kind of got out of having like a, a bedtime at that point because I was staying up all the time as long as the next day I gave my dad the rundown. So then that kind of sparked my love for sports, did the high school paper, was always the sports writer for our Falcon newspaper, got to know all the, the guys there, which was really, really nice. And then when I went into college, I wanted to be a sports journalist. So joined the Daily Trojan and then realized I really liked sports and I liked the news aspect of it from the ski and snowboard team piece that I wrote, started doing the college water polo beat, which at that point. And even still, USC water polo is a very dominant sports team in, in the NCAA. So if you're looking at that perspective, I got to know all like the water polo players you see now that are playing for the Olympics and things like that. And it was a really exciting time. What I did realize, though, was I didn't necessarily like the news desk aspect of it. I knew I wanted to be in sports and I knew I wanted to control the message, but I didn't like being at a news desk and not having control over my, the, the final end printed story that went out. That's kind of something you realize at like a real news desk is a lot of the editors will make edits to your piece without you knowing, or they'll do it just for the sake of getting it to be published on time. And it's hard to control that. I looked internally and I was like, maybe I want to do the other side of it, which was PR. So I ended up going into PR and changing my major at Annenberg at USC and then wrote out the next three years doing public relations. In the past on this show, what we've heard about as far as careers and goals in sports is it's a dream in our industry to work for an NFL team. Will you kind of say, hold my hot coffee or hold my hot tea in your case and say, watch me do this and went to the league level? Like, do you remember what it was like the first days working for the most iconic league in American sports? So I actually started working at the, at the NFL as an intern in the fall of 2013 as I was still completing school. And the first day that I was in there, it was very shiny, very new, it was very shiny. It was very much like, I get to do this, like I'm 21 and I get to put together public relations advice for these teams who are just starting to get to know all these social platforms and don't know what they're posting. They have no idea how their social platforms are doing. They have no idea what's working and what isn't. And I get to be the resource that comes in to help them. Like, this is amazing. And I had really good mentors when I first got hired too. And I've all, I was always really blessed at the NFL to have very, very good bosses. And I think that definitely helped me throughout my journey there. Three different bosses in my account, three different bosses, four different titles, and seven different desks. I think that was my like five and a half years at the NFL. But it was one of those things where it was all brand new. It was all shiny. It was like getting like a new car smell, but for business. 
and I kind of dove into it and took each opportunity head on as it was given to me. And there wasn't there wasn't anything you could have asked me to do that I would have said, no, I'm not going to do it. And that was just the, you know, the eager beaver in me. What are the early stages of NFL digital media? Because you're talking about a time when teams don't even have Instagram pages or they don't really know how powerful their own brands are. I think the least popular NFL team on Instagram still has 2 million followers. So what do you remember about early, early stages of NFL digital media? The, the early stages was trying to get a wrangling on two things. One, what resonated with people within the 140 characters, without images, on Facebook, where Facebook at that point wasn't doing like a bunch of advertising. They weren't doing a lot of things for big business. It was very much still a person-to-person, friend-human connection platform. And so you get to those places and you have to kind of pioneer the way is like how brands actually need to have a specifically unique voice now. They needed to create a personality. They needed to create an actual voice online where you could look at a brand or you could look at a team and basically be like, I know they're going to be cheeky and funny. I know they're going to be informational. I know this team is all about the competition, so on and so forth. And the other part of it was the analytics that go along with it. And this might be, you know, a little boring to some, but I guess I'm a nerd and it fascinates me. But like, this is the point in time where I learned how to use Excel really well. And I learned how to look at numbers and create stories out of numbers, because it's something that a lot of people crave. And in today's world, analytics and data are everything. But it got built out of the performance of these platforms, which is I don't know what resonates or how my voice is performing unless I strip it all back and look at the actual numbers to it. So learning how to do both of those things at the beginning was extremely beneficial. But like, that's how basically it started. I was going to the New York job thing and basically giving them a full presentation about how selling every single social post wasn't the right mentality for them because it was lowering their engagement. So we sat down, we presented a full thing. I was lucky to be able to do that with the organization. And we basically told them like, you know, if you want your numbers to grow, if you want your social following to grow, and if you want more people to interact with you, you have to find a more authentic way of integrating a sponsor or, you know, you need to find a sponsorship on your website website, maybe, maybe not on the external social post. So it was a couple of ideas there that I was able to implement with my team and and with my boss with the encouragement of my bosses. And it was just a it was a really interesting like nine, 10 months, even in that internship for me to just learn the ropes. So just to fact check our own claims here, the least powerful social media following in the NFL is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they still have 1.7 million followers on social media. So in your world, you presented in the NFL's Digital Media Summit in front of every single NFL team at a super young age. So that had to be really intimidating. Do you remember what you presented on at the summit? Yes, I do. I think the deck might still exist in my files somewhere, but it was basically an entire how-to on social analytics, how to pull your analytics what to look for in the numbers, what would jump out to you, how to create stories out of it, and then ultimately how to optimize and change your campaign structure based on what you were seeing in the numbers. So it was a lot of feedback for these clubs who had never gone into their team pages or never gone into their club Facebook pages and even hit the insights button or hit the analytics button. So it was the the digital download 101 for here's how to run social analytics and here's what you can get from it to change your organization. What's one thing that our listeners, like just as far as digital media and telling a story and a narrative on your own social pages. What's one thing you can share with us that maybe translates to both the NFL and somebody who just has an Instagram page and wants it to go well? Yeah, I think right now it's 
genuine, actual like voice. It's a unique perspective. I think there's so many perspectives out there today. And even as we're seeing like in recent times, everyone has their voice or wants to share their own story. But it's how do you actually make it unique so that it's you? I think everyone out there is going to have people who troll people on social media, so on and so forth, just because we do have such a broad range of views in this lifetime. But the ones that I've seen be most successful, even in sports, is a team that has a point of view, a team that doesn't shy away from saying, you know, yeah, we're we're all about XYZ, whether it's on the field competition versus off the field player personalities or whatever that may be. But having a consistent voice structure behind it is very, very important. So you're living the life. You're working for the NFL. You're climbing the corporate ladder and you catch wind of this startup sports league called the Premier Lacrosse League, which had an, a pretty interesting business model when you think about it. Instead of having franchises like a team in Boston, a team in Denver, in Philly, in Salt Lake City, what have you. You have seven teams with no home base that hit the road and play all road games. What was it about the Premier Lacrosse League that just fit for you? I think it was building a new sport. I think it was something where like lacrosse is something I had never I had never been into. Like I grew up as a West Coast kid. Lacrosse at USC wasn't even there and team wise until my senior year when I was on my way out. So I think it was just like, how do you build a new sport? And it was a vast, obviously, change from the NFL, which had been ingrained in people. You know, you can ask pretty much anybody in America if they know what the NFL is, and they will say yes. I was very curious as to how to build up something from complete scratch in a sports world that's so inherently stuck in the ways of the old four, right? MLB, NHL, NBA, NFL. So I'm sure you took some heat right on paper it looks like you're leaving the nfl the top american league for this startup lacrosse league that you don't really know anything about lacrosse is is that fair to say it was it was completely fair to say i do think that when i left the nfl though it was the right time like i had made my mark i had built something good at the nfl i had done the work that i could do and i think at some point you have to look at yourself and say you know do i have something else that i can grow into here or is it time for a new opportunity or is it time for me to try something else and i think for me not really having known professionally anything really outside of the nfl since i had graduated i you know i wanted to know something else i wanted to get to know something else You called working in the Premier Lacrosse League, quote, the best career decision I've made in my life. Why do you believe that that's the case? I think it's like I needed to fly on my own for a bit. And I did like it. Like, trust me, my bosses at the NFL were amazing and they were great. But I always had a boss for that fact for me at the NFL that helped me pave my path. That was a great mentor. And I think for me, it was something where I needed to prove to myself that I could stand on my own two legs. I needed to prove what kind of employee I was stand someone holding my hand and direct me into certain places and whatnot. So I think that was probably my biggest thing about it was, can I prove to myself that I can do it? Can I show myself what kind of employee I am? Can I show myself what kind of business person I am? You were anchored by this passion and this genuine love for the Premier Lacrosse League, like you hope to get out of sports. You hope to fall into a cause that you truly love and can get behind. So how did you come to this decision that it was time for a new chapter and and to leave? Yeah, so I think one of those things is when you sit down and look at the chapter, I guess, and you look at trying to leave somewhere, I think it's you just don't feel comfortable. And I think now in this era and time of there's so many careers and people are hopping jobs. And I know that 
obviously coronavirus has made the job market a little harder, but I was privileged to start even in my new role right now before all of this craziness hit. And it was one of those things where when you take a step back and you look at yourself in a company environment, for me, it wasn't worth it to not enjoy what I was passionate about every day. Because the worst thing in my mind is that you go to work somewhere and working at that place makes you dislike the sport or what you're doing for that place. So for me, it was taking a step back and saying, "Mm, I don't really vibe with this anymore. I don't really like this anymore. And it's not making me happy to get up to go to work. And that may sound like a very millennial viewpoint on it. But for me, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have the the privilege to say, I don't know if I really like this. I have other job opportunities that I could be taking. Let's expand my skill set into an area that I'm now seeing is on the forefront of the sports industry that I really now can see I can make a difference in that there's active change in and that I can actually go do something because there are certain people at any company, right, who are just happy to take the paycheck and go home or, you know, have a family situation where they need the paycheck. And that's okay. But for me, if I'm not passionate, I don't like what I do. It's very hard for me to just sit in the background and take the paycheck and go home. I've never been that individual. And I'd rather go to a company where my ass is on the line every day because I'm making decisions and I have to prove myself versus just someone who's a talking figurehead in a corner, given a paycheck and going home. So as much as you loved the Premier Lacrosse League and you start to notice different patterns in personal behavior of like, this is what's important to me and this is what's not. How does the world connect you to relevant sports group in this new role? And I guess in addition, is there anything you're really excited about that you're working on relevant that you can share with us this early in? Nothing, unfortunately, that I can completely share right now, but I'll give you a little bit of a lowdown on kind of relevant in my my mindset to move. I think what it was for me was, and and this is a little bit of a, a selfish nature on my part, but my boss at the NFL, he actually ended up leaving the NFL before I did. And uh, he is kind of the mentor I talk about, and he's been a great inspiration in my life. His name is Aiden Lyons. So when he was at relevant, I think in his head, he was growing a business strategically so that he he needed somebody of my skill set. When I basically called him up and again, mentor, no holds barred, no judgment can have a very face to face, brutal, honest conversation with him and basically told him, Hey, look, like, I think I need to be in a different mindset. Like, I think I need to make a drastic change in my life. He's basically like, look, you know, I might have a role for you. What do you want to do about this? And I basically told him, I was like, look, the time in my career where I learned and grew the most prior was always under you because everything that we've talked about in every situation or rough work situation or whatever it is, we've always gotten through it because there's been an honest, open line of communication. Even though you are my boss and you you had controlled my paycheck and my employment, I never felt like there was any risk of you pulling it or that I couldn't be myself and actually feel comfortable in my workspace. And he definitely has been has been that person. So part of the reason Move to Relevant made sense was I knew that when I got to Relevant, I would have a chance to grow even more, that I would learn more skills within that skill set. And I would really, really get the chance to shine and the opportunity to say, yeah, I can make these decisions for you on a daily basis. Plus, I've always been interested in soccer, football, and the international markets. And it just started to get into it a little more in terms of, you know, when we went to the international games for the NFL in London, a lot of us would find other football and soccer games to go to midweek. You know, on a weekday, we'd go to Wembley Stadium for like a Tottenham West Ham game, or like I would go to Etihad for another game, or I would go to Emirates for Arsenal Swansea City game. So like, 
I started getting exposed to it a little more. And I think in my head, I've always been interested in going beyond domestic sports. So that was what really attracted me too. is all of this is international. All of this is a new wave of fans, is a new breadth and depth of sport. And that's what's really exciting about Relevant. You touch on an important point of being comfortable in your workspace, because that's kind of the key to authenticity. In your world where you have these iconic jobs, you have these high titles, and now we're going to add one more layer onto this, and we're going to make you an international businesswoman. How do you think you balance a work and life? Work-life balance has probably got to be the most difficult thing in our industry. How do you think you handle that now having an international element to this? Yeah, so I think part of it is, and I will fully admit that for the first couple of years I worked for the NFL, I had zero work-life balance. Everybody that I hung out with was from work. I woke up, I went to work, I went out with people from work, after work, I came home, and then on the weekends, I saw them again. If you're really looking at the roundabout way there for a couple of years, like I just slept, ate, and breathed, just work the entire time. And what I realized, especially when I got out of the NFL and joined the PLL, it was like, I need to take a step back. Like I've lost a lot of friends and I've lost a lot of relationships that I would have loved to rekindle that make me inherently happier and then also make me a better employee at work. I think people fail to realize that. Like when you're having a really bad day outside of work and you come into work, work has two options. You can either freak out about it all day or you can surround yourself with people at work that are going to take your mind off of what's ever going on personally. And vice versa is true. You need an outlet for what happens if you have a bad day at work and you need to go home and you need to vent kind of aimlessly for 10 to 15 minutes, you need to have a good support space for someone to that you can vent to that again is not going to judge you that you're going to hang out with. So I think that the work life balance for me is there's certain times where I will just say, you know what, it's after eight o'clock, I'm not going to get back online. But there's other times where I do like the people I'm working for so much and working with so much. You're letting me keep my work-life balance. You're letting me be able to go out with my friends at night if I need to, or sit and watch Harry Potter if that's what makes me happy for three hours, you know? So I think that's really, really important. The other part of it is I will always be that person who likes to hang out with the people I work with outside of work. I don't think that side of me is ever going to go away. But it's being able to view somebody personally versus viewing somebody in the office and this is an individual I need to work with. And I think for me, that separation of church and state has been very, very useful for me. Seeing a coworker in the office and, hey, we now need to be serious and get all this work done and we're held to deadlines and I'm going to hold you to the same high work standard that I hold myself to and vice versa versus, okay, work's done. Let's go grab a pint. Let's talk about life. Let's figure out what we want to do next with our personal selves. Let's go to a workout class on the weekends together. But I think that separation of church and state is really key. Hey, everyone. Hope you're enjoying your own hot coffee or cold beer on the show today with us. If you're enjoying the show and listening on Spotify, Apple, Google, Anchor, wherever you find your podcast, please be sure to leave a review and a rating. While you're browsing, be sure to check out The Dark White Knight on Instagram. We try to keep it light here on Hot Coffee, Cold Beer while we touch through some heavy topics of the sports industry. And one of the ways we like to let loose after the show is by going on the meme page, The Dark White Knight. Much like sports, memes and humor bring people together. Please give his page a follow and a few likes. They've been a big part of getting our show off the ground. That's at The Dark White Knight on Instagram. I got this piece of feedback on the show, and I think you're the perfect person to bounce this off of. So I won't give out any intimate details, but this person is in finance. 
they started listening to the show. And after episode nine, they said, quote, sports is such a cool job. It can't really be that challenging, can it? End quote. So I want to pose this to you. What do you think is the most challenging part of your job or any of your jobs in sports? We can go back to the NFL, Premier Lacrosse, what have you. What are some of the most challenging parts of your job that you think people don't realize because we glorify the sports world so much? Oh boy. I think actually one of the biggest deer in the headlights moments for me when I was starting in sports was understanding that everybody loves sports. And well, most people, I will say, love sports. I'm not going to generalize it. And when they watch, they watch and they think it's very glamorous. And the output is, right? The idea for anybody working a job in my head is you want to make what you do seem effortless because it means you're doing it well. So to have these games go off without a hitch, you don't realize how much actually goes on behind the scenes. One click of a button and there's no replay or no highlights on the screen. One tripwire and the broadcast completely goes down. One missed data entry key and all of the stats on the TV are wrong. One failed like equipment run and someone's helmets end up in a different place than the uniforms themselves. You don't realize what piece of the puzzle puts it together. And the second thing people don't realize is a lot of people think sports entities are made up of billions of dollars. And when in reality, some of these sports clubs, some of these NFL teams are mom and pop shops just trying to survive on a shoestring budget. So when you're looking at some of the deals and some of the things that they do, it's because they want to keep the team afloat because they care about their employees. It's because of all these different things where, you know, you see a sports ending and you already imagine you're like, oh, they must be making millions or like, oh, this person must be doing this. But in reality, it's a fraction of the industry that's making millions and is turning a profit every single year. A lot of these teams are just struggling to stay alive. And that's within any industry. That's that's within soccer, baseball, football, anything like that. Just the way that sports have been put together you know, not all of them have a have a tech billionaire that's buying them out. And a lot of them have been around for years and live off of a legacy and they live off of a community and a passion and not necessarily turning a huge profit every year. In a 2019 interview with Hashtag Sports, you said, and I quote, I think the historic nature of sports industry has allowed the industry to get away with some antiquated practices and organizational silos that need to be broken down. I think this dives into a really, really important topic of the sports industry that really needs to be blown up and shed into light. You see this a lot, especially with young people in sports that think there's this artificial slack that comes with working with giant sports brands. I see this in particular. I have one specific student I mentor, and I won't give away the name, but their comment to me is often, well, we don't have to do this. Like We can get away with this sloppy practice because we are, insert huge NFL team here. There's sometimes this attitude in sports of like, I don't need to perfect my craft or we don't need to innovate in this capacity because we have excellent team performance or we're a giant lasting brand. So I feel you very, very deeply on this subject. And I was hoping we could have a brutally honest conversation about what you mean by these things and what you'd like to see changed. Because it's something that has brought me so closely to the teams I work for now that I work for the Lakers, Clippers, and Kings who could so easily sit on their brands and just coast with the idea of being in the LA market, yet they continue to push boundaries and innovate and aspire to get better. Therefore, your employees will chase you to do the same. So what are some of the things, maybe even in global advertising or marketing, that you hope you can make an impact on in this category? 
I think for me right now, it's intelligent advertising. And what I mean by that is it's intelligent growth marketing, advertising and everything like that. It's how do I actually take data and make really educated, informed decisions about what I'm doing in the output. So that's just me specifically for my industry. One of actually my biggest pet peeves that I've heard at so many companies when I go in and I go, hey, how did you do this? Or why did you do it this way? My biggest pet peeve answer is when someone looks at me and goes, oh, because that's the way it was always done. So that actually goes to the the root and the core of the quote from my hashtag sports interview, which was don't tell me you're doing something just because it's been a legacy practice. Tell me you're doing something because that practice makes sense for what you're doing. Because even if it's a legacy practice, if it works the best and has been shown to work the best, that's the answer you should be giving me, not we've just done it this way. We're just going to keep doing it this way. Because to me, what that means is that you haven't actually taken an intelligent look at why it works, what works about it, or why it doesn't work and what needs to be better about it. So to me, that breeds a little bit of a stagnant approach to things. That being said, like when you go into actually needing to either audit or change what you what the practices you've implemented, doing extra research and being very thorough about it is also something that I see not happening sometimes. Sometimes it's because, unfortunately, you just need to get it done and out the door in two weeks, which is just the nature of the industry and the business. Sometimes it's, you know, we didn't think about XYZ. And sometimes you just don't know how it's going to perform until you actually put it into practice. But I think for me, when you're looking at changing the future and changing and having an impact on future industry and trends, for me, it's all about that business intelligence back end of it, that the more you know, and the more you seek out to know and ask questions and question practices to the point where you want to improve them, the more change you're going to be able to make and the more informed decision making is going to come out of that. So we ask everybody who comes on this show the same question, and I'm especially excited to hear your answer, but we ask everybody who comes on the show about their why. What is your purpose? Why, of all things in the world, do you do what you do? So Divya Goyal, what is your why? Uh, My why is going to sound really, really corny, but my why is for like the enjoyment of fans. Because I remember when I was a kid growing up, the smile I had on my face when my dad took me to my first baseball game the complete and sheer heartbreak that I felt when the Trojans lost to the Longhorns in the Rose Bowl. And I was like a kid outside the stadium crying because I just didn't understand why I felt so bad about the loss. It's those emotions and those moments that are my why. Like I go out and I was an an employee and we did Pro Bowls. We worked some of these Super Bowls. We worked drafts. We worked combines. And to get to see these fans' faces, that's the why. And that's why, why I do it. Because knowing that there's some little kid somewhere that's really, really excited running around with the Manchester United jersey or a Tottenham jersey or an Arsenal jersey or having like a really heated debate about statistics and analytics even behind sports and what people are doing on the field that to me is is really interesting I like sitting down with my dad and we can go into hours of arguments about baseball and pitch count and analytics and why this hitter should be should change their swing and what pitch the pitcher should be throwing next and that is what really gets me going 
I'll give a little bit of an anecdote at the NFL draft in Dallas. One of my favorite parts of any NFL draft was towards the end, the last couple of rounds, the teams a lot of times don't have people assigned to go on stage and announce the pick for the team because either they were acquired by a trade, so the team has an extra pick, or they lose the pick because they give it away. So those last two rounds are always a little bit chaotic. And within those last two rounds, what ends up happening is a team can volunteer their pick to a fan. So I would be the one going out in the crowd looking for fan jerseys and picking people out of the crowd to basically make their day and say, do you want to get on stage at the draft podium and announce your team's next draft pick? There was a Jacksonville fan, a man and his daughter sitting in the front row. And I went up to them and I said, I might have a last round Jacksonville pick that's open. And they had been there all three days. They were definitely hardcore fans. Would you like to make the pick if it's there? I can't guarantee anything, but if it's open, you know, I'll have you slotted in. He looked at me and he looked at his daughter and he went, of course, I'd love to. Do you have an estimated time of when it's going to be? And I was like, these drafts take a little bit long because it's on the third day. It probably won't be for another two or three hours. And he got really sad and he looked at me and went, oh, I'm so sorry. I need to get a flight. I need to get on a flight in an hour. I'm trying to cut it as close as possible to stay as long as I possibly can. And I was like, well, if things change and another pick comes up earlier, I'll let you know and I'll come find you. And then I come back and an hour later just to tell him, like, I'm sorry, there's not a really pick. I really apologize. You know, I hope you have a safe flight home. And he looked at me, he, get, he went, I don't care. I'm missing my flight. I will stay here until you put me on stage. And even if you don't, thank you for the offer. And I've had an amazing time. As you can imagine, I did everything in my power to get him on stage. And I did get him on stage. But it was just one of those passionate people who... As you know, as he was on stage, his daughter was like, my dad has been bought season tickets the first year Jacksonville came here and has had season tickets the whole time and loves this team. And, you know, this is pretty much going to make his life. The fact that you're just putting him on stage for a pick and he missed his flight. And he was the happiest man I have ever seen in my life. It's stuff like that that keeps you going and keeps you motivated and is why I do what I do. Wow. Two of the 1.7 million Jacksonville Jaguars fans and you made their life come true. <laughs> Tried to. This has been such an amazing conversation about being comfortable in your workplace and intelligent advertising, global advertising, all these things that are just amazing. It's a conversation we could really only have with you. So we appreciate you coming on the show to, to talk about it. What, what we want to do now is we want to do something a little bit differently and change the pace to, we just want to ask you some quick hitter personal questions, just some first response, just the first instinct, your authentic answer off the top of your head, just to get to know Divya Goyal a little bit better. So whenever you're ready, we'll get started. Perfect. Let's go. All right. Divi Goyal, quick hitters. Here we go. Who is your favorite female athlete of all time? I think that's going to have to be Lisa Leslie. I'm so glad somebody finally said Lisa Leslie. We ask everybody. Really? We ask everybody this question. Serena is the number one answer by a mile. Uh, and nobody has said Lisa, Lisa Leslie yet. Okay. Spark, like Lisa Leslie. Sparks, I'm on fan with that. Sparks pride, baby. Yep. Who is your favorite LA Dodger of all time? I think even if you ask my dad, they would tell you that I have a large affinity for Justin Turner. He is my phone background photo, and I was lucky enough to meet him when he came in to film a fantasy show for the NFL. That's an easy one. Who is your dad's favorite Dodger of all time? Fernando Valenzuela, hands down. Who is your favorite band or singer of all time? The Strokes. Who is one person, dead or alive, that you wish you could sit down and have a hot coffee or cold beer with? Or I guess in your case, Ooh. hot tea. Leonardo da Vinci. Which Harry Potter house would you be placed in if you attended Hogwarts? Oh, I'm 100% a Slytherin. Really? Yeah. What makes I've you done the quizzes? <laughs> it's all Slytherin. Would you be surprised to know that I'm a Hufflepuff? Yeah, I'm a little surprised. Really? 
Yeah. Hey, listen, everyone needs an underdog story. That's why I'm a Mets fan. You know, you got to stick up for the little guy. So in your time at USC, you were a Gamma. Can you give us maybe your favorite Gamma Phi Beta alumni? It doesn't have to be from USC, but nationally. Alex Flanagan. I mean, she's done a lot in the sports industry. She's a really good sports reporter, worked with a lot of networks in her time. So so that would I would have to say her. So earlier today, we talked about the NFL teams ranked by social media following. So just a quick test. We revealed that Jacksonville was number 32. Do you have any yep. idea who number 31 is? Oh, I'm going to have to say the Bengals. Close. Bengals are fourth to last. Second to last is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 2.1. Do you have uh, any idea in any order who the top three are? It's going to have to be Patriots is going to be number one. Correct. Um, Dallas, somewhere falls in that. And then I think so the Steelers or the Packers? It's the Steelers. Wow. Three for three. There we go. You know your shit, Div. <laughs> I had to crunch those analytics for a long time. Recently, you made the move over from Los Angeles to New York City. And there are obviously some things each city does a little bit better than the other. But if we were to give you a blank roadmap to design your own brand new city, what parts of L.A. and what parts of New York City do you combine together to make Div City USA? I would combine the bodegas and bars and restaurants on every you know street corner in New York as a thing. And then I would take the beachfront property and establish it in many places as I possibly could around the city. So everything should be beachfront, rooftop, bars everywhere, restaurants everywhere, new food to try, sports bars, the whole nine. But it's all about eating, being fun and being merry with your friends while looking at a gorgeous sunset or an ocean. Div City sounds pretty lit. Yeah, happy about that one. It also sounds like Stefan from SNL, like a club he would recommend, like New New York's hottest club. It's Div City. (laughs) I will take it. Maybe I'll do that one day. What is the best job in your life you've ever turned down? I do actually wonder what would have happened if I had if I had taken this. My, My time at the NFL, I was offered a position by Red Bull to help come over and run their social media accounts and things like that and do analytics for them as well. Still in touch with the people who who I talked to there today and was really impressed with their organization. I just, it wasn't the right time for me to move and I had so much to still learn and do, but that's definitely a job that I would have looked at twice and I was looking at pretty hard for a bit. If we were to ask somebody on your staff to describe you, what would you hope they'd say? I would hope they say that I'm that I'm intelligent first off, that I'm kind of hardworking and trustworthy, but also that I know how to have a smile or fun or know how to crack a joke because I don't want to be taken as the fully serious human being in the office at all times. And lastly, as somebody who describes herself as, and I quote, just a small girl with big dreams, where do you predict we will see Divya Goyal in the next two to three years? Oh, I would love to continue to do to work in international space. I think the international advertising space for sports is going to be really, really big. And in two to three years, what I really hope to do is I hope to be, you know, the on the face of that and working with uh, innovative advertising technologies and targeting systems so that people can trust brands and these sports brands and companies to give them the best experience possible. Divya, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really, really exceptionally happy for you and your success and wish you like the best of luck in this new international venture that you're going on. So thanks so much for taking some time away from your busy schedule and talking to us about your story and and sharing a hot tea with us. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. 
Today's episode of Hot Coffee Cold Beer is independently produced by Brock L. Hendricks. The content you heard today does not reflect the opinion or views of AEG, Staples Center, the Los Angeles Lakers, Clippers, Kings, or Sparks, or any of its affiliates, subsidiaries, and partners. 